25 seconds left to play. You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show. I want winners. This crowd is alive. Play to win the game. Wyatt from the shotgun, two backs alongside. Knock him out, John. Wyatt gets the ball. It won't be long. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt looks. Fires toward the end zone. Passes. Caught for touchdown by Matthew Butler. Speak to. They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I get out of hand. Just, just tell me I'm a jerk and shut up. Let's go scatter the West right tight. That's left. 372 Y sticks. He's The Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, how am I going to go to college? I'll just play football. Made $75 million selling baseball instructional videos. Tom Amansky was the American dream. How about that? Back on the show, I'm Matt. Hour two, off and running here in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau. People you can deal with one-on-one, face-to-face. That's the way it ought to be in insurance. It's the way it is at Farm Bureau. And around here, we stay connected to you around the clock because of C Spire, the number one network in Mississippi. I'm a C Spire customer, have been for years and years and years, holding in my hand right here my iPhone 8 Plus from C Spire. And if I drop it, I don't have a case on it. I kind of like using it in its original form factor without putting a protective case on there. But that means uh, eventually I am going to drop it, crack it, shatter it. Who knows? It'll happen. But I'm not worried because I can take it into a C Spire store. They'll fix it for me while I wait. Most times, just fix it right then and there. Boom, fix it for me. And they'll fix yours, too, if you drop it, break it, damage it. Any phone from any carrier, take it into a C Spire shop, tell them I need it fixed. And they are certified repair centers. Okay, coming up in just a bit, uh, Ryan Brown from WJOX in Birmingham. The Jocks Roundtable. He's going to be by. i got questions for him. Good guy. Talk a little football with him. We were talking Auburn early. I don't know who Auburn's quarterback is going to be. I wonder how Ryan's going to celebrate July 4th tomorrow, too. Y'all give me some suggestions. I'd love to know how to celebrate it. Do you get the day before July 4th off? Since July 4th falls on a Thursday this year, everybody taking Friday off, too? Make it just an extra, extra long weekend? I bet a lot of people are doing that. I mean, if you have July the 4th on Thursday, Roger, what's the point in coming back and working on Friday? (laughs) Yeah, take today as well and Man, you've got a nice little getaway. That's it. That's exactly right. So that's coming up. We got team number 59 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days leading up to the start of the year. That means today we are 59 days away from August the 31st. Team number 59 coming up later in this hour. They are from the SEC. Uh huh. If you'll stick around also uh, later in this hour of the show, It's funny how you get on to certain things and fascinated. I, I, I found that clip of Fred McGriff 
describing how the whole endorsement of the Tom Amansky instructional video came about for him back in the 80s, early 90s, why he was on the commercial and seen everywhere. And um, I play that for you. And we get to talking, and Roger looks up and realizes it and finds out that Tom Amansky, through those baseball instructional videos, made $75 million off the things. And, and there's more, there's a lot more interesting details that Roger uncovered. He was telling me about it in a break. So I don't have time for it right now, but I've made a note. We're going to come back to it because I want you to know it's just one of those things that popped up, and I'm fascinated by this. Over 50,000 times that ad ran. <laughs> thing ran 50. And mostly people only remember the guy pitching it with that cameo. <laughs> Isn't it? So, yeah, that's all we remember is Fred McGriff, crime dog, saying, these are the instructional videos that get results. Well, they got results all right. I don't know if it helped anybody turn a double play, but it netted $75 million for Tom Amansky. <laughs> and I, think, I think they were like two AAU like championship teams. and Well, they claim that in the ad. Yeah. They, yeah. They, in the ad, they claim that it was a big reason for it. Anyway, there it is. All right. Let's flip it back over to football. Over here on the Divinity Equipment phone right now, it's lighting up, blinking. He's on there. Ryan Brown. Brownie from WJOX, Jocks Roundtable in Birmingham, on the Divinity Equipment phone and on your radio right now. Ryan, how um, how, how are you going to celebrate the 4th? What are you going to do? Well, I am currently... Um Next to the putting green, so uh-huh. I'm going to play 18 here in about 30 minutes. Um, unless you keep me that long, no, and then no. I'll miss my seat time. Okay, <laughs> good. Um, and then we're going to my in-laws tomorrow. My parents on Friday. We'll swim a barbecue at both places, eat barbecue at both places, and uh, just hang out, man. I'm pretty low key. That's it. You know, I think I said earlier. I'm sort of joking. I said I'll tell you how I'm going to celebrate. I'm not going to do anything. Nothing. Nope. But I but I that's, really am not exaggerating. <laughs> that's right. I mean, that's kind of a day off. Let's take a real day off. Well, yeah. you got that going on. Glad you're getting a little golf in uh, today. I've been following you on social media. You've really been playing a lot of golf. Golf swing looks good. You you, <laughs> you like your game right now? Um. Yeah. You know, I, I was inconsistent with my driver yesterday. So I'm hopeful to correct that today. Um, that's the key, man. You got to play it out of the fairway. You can't score out of the woods. Yeah, so that's right. I got I got to keep the driver in the short stuff today. That's what we're seeing on. So um, okay. when you keep the driver in the fairway, I feel good about our round. That's right. You know, and if you'll stay out of the woods, you'll save a lot of money on steroid shots at the doctor. You know. Yeah, that's right. Poison you know, ivy. That's the weird thing. I've, I've played golf my whole life, and I've never once contracted poison ivy. Maybe I have. Uh, an unknown resistance to it that yeah. I'm not aware of. If you do, you're a you're the lucky one. I, let me just tell you from the I other so. side of that experience. All right, so um, I was curious. We were kicking around and just kind of getting ready for SEC Media Days, which meant peeking at some football teams and trying to learn names that we maybe don't already know and that kind of thing. But but on that note, not team specific, but right there at home for you uh, last year, SEC Media Days was in Atlanta. Now it's coming back to Hoover, back to home 
for you in two weeks. What's what's the significance of that? Like for you and for people around Hoover and Birmingham, is there any significance to hosting it there? Yeah, I mean, I, there was. Uh, well, first of all, it allows the fans to come out and see their coaches. Um, you know, and I didn't, I didn't get to see as much of that last year because the area where they did that was such a long way from where we were doing our shows. So I don't know what that looked like. You know, it's right on top of you in Hoover. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, beyond that, I think a lot of people around here viewed, you know, kind of had a sense of community pride about that event. The fact that the entire conference came here to Birmingham and. It was such a big deal when ESPN set up shop and all that. I um I, I think a lot of people viewed that as kind of you know kind of civic pride and community pride. So I think people are excited to have it back here and hope that you know it will come here more in the future. I I don't know the future of this event and where all it's going to go. I know it'll move around a little bit, but I hope you know Hoover stays somewhat in the rotation. It always, you know, there are some people that say you know the. You know, the SEC offices are there in Birmingham, and they they claim that's a negative and all this kind of stuff. And I understand them wanting to branch out and connect with people on a bigger footprint. But to me, it always has made sense. You know, if the SEC offices are, are home to the SEC is Birmingham, it's kind of the central spot. It just always makes sense to have it in Birmingham. But maybe I'm just seeing it through the eyes of this is the way we've always done it sort of thing. And that may be true. I think the truth is it's become a big enough event that no matter where you have it, it's going to get the same national publicity. Now, did it get more publicity in Atlanta because it was there last year? I I don't know. I mean, I didn't really pay attention to the local Atlanta TV to see how much, and I don't know what they would have had in the past. So I I really can't answer that. I don't know. But I I think, you know, ESPN's always going to be here because they were smart enough, and I'll credit the SEC with this. This is a genius move to move this event the same week as the All-Star Game because there is nothing going on in sports. Mm-hmm. So this allowed the SEC to have a stage on to their own. I thought that was a genius move. But, you know, that, that created ESPN coming here and setting up shop and all these national outlets. I think you're going to have that now anywhere you go. You could do this thing on the moon, and I think ESPN, they're hungry for the content. They would send their shows out to do live uh, live shows from there just so they can have the content to fill the time. Sure. Well, I'm looking forward to it. So if you're tuning in, listening, talking to Ryan Brown from WJOX in Birmingham, and in two weeks, SEC Media Days will be happening there in Hoover. You'll hear a lot of coverage on this show and others uh, as well. And Auburn is a team that, you know, I've been kind of looking and watching quarterbacks. I watched a little Jake Fromm yesterday put a video out. I got a Joe Burrow thing going out today. And, you know, I'd love to talk about Auburn's quarterbacks, but Help me out, Ryan. I'm not really sure where to start. What What's the conversation like there on WJOX when y'all talk about the Auburn quarterback position? Well, I, it's it's interesting because you got two guys that look like they're neck and neck. And Joey Gatewood, who's a redshirt freshman, um, who, who technically is a lot of times appeared to be 14 last year for whatever that's worth. I don't mm-hmm. know that's worth anything. Malik Willis was the backup. Um, Ford Sandberg a lot of times was what appeared to be 13 based on travel rosters and things like that. But then when they came to Ole Miss, uh, Joey Gatewood made the trip, so it looked like maybe he had bumped up to 13. Um, so, you know, there's, he's kind of been on the roster, and Bo Nix is kind of the new toy, you know. Bo mm-hmm. Nix is a hot recruit. Patrick Nix's son that was uh, Auburn quarterback for years, very successful Auburn quarterback, been a high school, been a college coordinator. Um over the years, but is now a high school head coach here just outside of Birmingham. And his son 
is a highly recruited quarterback that Auburn was able to get last year out of uh, Pinson Valley. Just rewrote the record book in the state of Alabama. So he's kind of a new toy that I think everybody is enamored with, and that kind of excites you to get that new toy out there rather than the guy you've had all these years. Um, and also, I think a lot of people, at least in our area, got to see Bo play high school football. So they've seen him play, know how good he once was. So I think that excites him as well. You know, like I, said, I don't know which of those two is going to win the job. I mean, that's, that's the big question mark is of those two who actually is able to lock that job down. Sure. So that's just one of several quarterback competitions that are happening around the league. You know, when I think of Pat Nix, um, I can just close my eyes and I picture toss sweep to Stephen Davis about uh, 20 times downhill. a game, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah, the old downhill uh, run to Stephen Davis. They ran the Terry Bowden ran the heck out of that play. Mm-hmm. They just turned around and tossed it to Davis. He was heading downhill and he was hard to stop. Uh, they yeah. had good offenses, man. And I don't know if you – I know you remember you played against them but, yeah. um, or watched them. Okay. Were you there then? Yeah. He, Pat, was, Pat was a senior at Auburn when I was a true freshman at State. So I didn't actually yeah. get on the field against him. But, you know, paths just barely and, crossed. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you one thing that always impressed me about Pat Nick was his unselfishness. Because you'll remember that mm-hmm. year, you know, they would bring Damian Craig in the red zone. Yep. And he would run a lot of the red zone package and some of the short yardage stuff. And that was never an issue with Nick. He handled that, I thought, with a great attitude. I mean, you know how tough quarterbacks are to keep happy, Matt. <laughs> you know, he, he would leave on some of the scoring plays, and, and Craig would get a lot of the glory. But that was never an issue with that. And, um, and from what I can gather, being around his son, I don't know his son all that well. Uh, but having him, had him on the show and be around him, he's that same type of kid, you know. Yeah. The old cliche of coach's kid. I think he fits that cliche very well. Yeah. Really going to be interested to see if a true freshman can lock down that job at Auburn. I was trying to think the other day, Ryan. You know, we keep going down memory lane here. It's just the way the conversation's going. But I, you might have to go all the way back to Stan White to find a freshman starting quarterback at Auburn. Um, a true freshman, yeah. You know, there's probably one that started a random game, but if you a yeah. guy that you considered the actual starter, it mm. probably is Stan. Yeah. And you know, for a while, for a while, the last one in the SEC was Brent Schaefer to start. I think to start mm-hmm. game one of the season as a true freshman. I think Brent Schaefer at Ole Miss for a while was the last one to do that in the SEC. It's fairly uncommon. It's, it's more common now than it used to be. I guess I should say it was fairly uncommon. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely true. Well. um, is there? Do you think there is genuine excitement, like fever pitch excitement, for this upcoming year from that Auburn fan base? You know the way it is for, frankly, some other teams around yeah. the league. It, do you have that for Auburn this year, or is there like a lot of maybe kind of anxiety among that fan base? Um, yeah, I think nervous excitement would be a good way of putting it, which I guess by definition would be anxiety. Um, yeah. You know, I think. Part of it, too, is because you don't get a warm-up act. You know that whoever it is, that true freshman or that redshirt freshman starter, starts against Oregon in the biggest game uh, in the nation we've won. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of anxiety about that, knowing that you don't get to ease into this thing. You don't get a Tennessee Martin to to get your wheels on. You, you're going to have to be good right away, early on, and there's going to be very little margin for error in week one. And I think that's going to be tough on Calvin, too, of knowing, you know, I think he would love to probably name a starter, 
but have co-starters in that game and let let both guys play with the one, see what you got with live action. But he's not going to be able to do that. It's, it's, he's going to have to commit to a guy, and and as long as he can play well, keep that guy in the game the whole time against Oregon, it will probably be a 60-minute game um, if Auburn's going to win that day. So yeah. I, I think that's what creates the anxiety is knowing you jump in the deep end right away. <laughs> no doubt about it. We're going to throw you in and see if you can swim sort of thing. No, no yeah. question. Yeah. No question. Ryan, I really appreciate it here on the day before a holiday, July 3rd. It's great to, as always, catch up, talk football, hear your voice. Uh, put it on the tee, inside that left toe, keep your head still, and attack the inside of the golf ball, and it'll be all right. I'll, I'll let you know how that turns out. I appreciate the <laughs> All right. See you later. Thank you. How about it? See you later. That's Ryan Brown from the Jocks Roundtable, WJOX in Birmingham. Think about this. You know, if you're a state fan or if you're an Auburn, I'm sorry, if you're an Ole Miss fan, you're going to play Auburn every year in the same division. And look, Auburn's got a recent national championship. Under both of their recent head coaches, uh, Gene Chizik and Gus Malzahn, they had had and have had a pretty lofty recruiting profile. They have. Now, they haven't had the kinds of classes consistently that Alabama and has turned in for 10 years, and, and not that what Georgia has done the last couple of years. They, they haven't done that. But they have been up there. They've had some top fives, and they've definitely had some top tens at Auburn. Yet, since the league expanded to 14 teams, Auburn is an even 500 in SEC play. Same record as Mississippi State. And uh, same record as, let's see, there's one more. Who was the other one? That was an even 500. I'd have to go back and look it up. I don't know who it was. Somebody from the East. South Carolina, that's who it was. Even 528-28. All the while, Alabama's playing for the national championship every year. And I can just tell you, like, there's some people right now who either from Alabama or live there a long time that are nodding their head right along with me that when I say the whole comparing yourself to Alabama, <laughs> you think, you know, comparing yourself to your rival around here is something. You ought to experience it in the state of Alabama. So I think Ryan is hitting the nail on the head when he says there's this anxiety Nervous excitement for the year because Auburn is looking at the possibility of stepping off into an SEC season with a true freshman quarterback, potentially. And the other guy who seems to be the other option, Gatewood, played like just a handful of snaps last year and spent most of the year way down the depth chart. So it's a different kind of scenario for them, and there's pressure there on that coaching staff and everything else. I think it's going to be really interesting. And I was. I Look, I am I do this every year. I spend the month of July starting to get prepped and ready and do a lot of video stuff. It, it's fun to do. It helps you to learn. I appreciate the engagement on that on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter, but it also helps me to learn a little bit more about teams and players and stuff and be ready. It's just all part of the process in my job as an analyst on the radio. And with Auburn, I ain't got nothing, I, there's nothing to look at. <laughs> as far as quarterback, nothing. I mean, I can watch spring game, but so what on that? 
Can't tell anything by a spring game. So there's just nothing to look at with Auburn. Handful of plays for Gatewood. And, uh, you know, a true freshman coming in, Bo Nixon, because someone looks a certain way and does a certain thing and lights things up a certain way in high school, does not mean that, that will tra- that, that's going to translate immediately in college that first year. So don't really know where to start with Auburn. What do you think? Are you an Auburn fan? I used to have some Auburn fans who used to listen and follow. I may have run them all off. I don't know. Uh, Fluffy just sent me a text. 885-ESPN. Fluffy, I did not know that this had happened. Is this... Is it is it is the news you're giving me making its way to Twitter? Um, let me let me see. I just fluffy. It's not at all that I don't trust what you text me. It's just that with the music starting, I want to double check it, make sure, and get my information squared away on something like this, and make sure I'm correct, and then I'll put it out there. Potentially some tough news for the state of Louisiana. In the baseball world, and I give Fluffy a uh, tip of the cap there for tipping me off because I did not know that. I hadn't seen this. Looks like Twitter is confirming it. So I'll give you the news when we come back. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show. the show. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. So tip of the cap to Fluffy. You tipped me off to this. I knew that Coach Tony Robicho from ULL, Louisiana Lafayette, but they want to be the University of Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, Tony Robicho. I knew that he had had a heart issue and had had surgery and at one point had gone downhill and was in critical care, but I just didn't know it was a situation that could possibly lead to him passing away, and that has happened. That is what has happened today. Um, Found a story here at the Daily Advertiser. It's in Louisiana. So um, looks like he was hospitalized with a heart attack on June the 23rd. A day later, he had open-heart surgery. University of Louisiana said that Robichaux was expected to make a full and complete recovery, but later in the week it was announced that he'd been transferred to Oshner Health Center in New Orleans. They said they were initiating advancement of his recovery. He had a second surgery. And then on Sunday, this past Sunday, they said that he was in critical condition and uh, he just didn't make it out of it. And so 25 years as the head baseball coach at ULL, 
Tony Robichaud passes away today. Um, that news just out there. He was a heck of a guy. He was. He um, he took him to the College World Series once. He won more than a thousand career games. He was somebody who was very open and honest about his spirituality, faith. Um, talked a lot about changing lives as much or more so than changing baseball players and making them better. <clears throat> they do a little bit of that. A lot of great quotes over the years. Uh, in 2008, in an interview, he said, when I look at my most successful former players, I ask, are they off drugs and alcohol? How's their marriage? How's their kids? Life's personal and professional challenges are the real game, not baseball. I tell players that life is like a table with four legs, athletic, academic, spiritual, and social. If we just let them play baseball, we have a one-legged table, one that can't handle burdens. We don't send out one-legged tables from our program. How about that? What do you think of that quote? Very practical. Yeah, one of my favorite, and I remember this. This was a few years ago, 2015. <clears throat> he was in an interview. He was quoted as saying, we want guys who drink out of the water hose, not the guy whose mommy brings him a Powerade after the third inning. <laughs> that was Tony Robichaux. He I said mean, in an interview. both ways. <laughs> You've experienced both. I think I have, too. Um, he said in an interview in 2017, if you can get your kids tough, then you have an advantage. I don't care what your mental weakness – I don't care what mental weakness a kid has, what lack of ability he has. If he's been taught how to throw down, he's going to make it. How about that? Um, in this article there at The Advertiser, Robisms, Robichaux, motivational speaker as well. Some of the things people, he's noted as saying, um, when a monkey jumps on your back, don't let it become King Kong. Make sure it stays your little pet monkey. <laughs> That's good. Isn't that good? We teach our kids to use the game of baseball, not let the game use them. In high school, you hang a breaker and you buckle the batter's knees. Do it in college, and you buckle a squirrel in the pine trees. <laughs> he says, be a hiker, not a camper. He says, you can't sharpen iron with plastic. He said, this isn't easy. Whoever told you it was, knock on their door. When they open it, punch them in the jaw. <laughs> and uh, here's another one. It said, nowhere in the Bible does it say how to be a great baseball player. But it's pretty clear what kind of man you should become. I thought that's good. That's the kind of guy you want uh, working with your young people. Yeah. A lot of quotes from former players who've gone on to, you know, straighten up, have productive lives, coaches. People talk about them giving them a second chance and that kind of thing. So there's a, a whole community. And, you know, honestly, it's a place like ULL, but – it's not far from here. In recent years, you'll remember Mississippi State and Jackson State both were in a postseason regional 
hosted by Louisiana Lafayette. Um, I, re- I remember that. And and they were noted for their fan support. They had great fan support for their games. Loud, fun. I think Ole Miss also has played in the postseason down there at ULL because they had some really good teams. And he's a guy that, even though he's coaching at a school that's not on everybody's radar, everybody around the sport was aware of him. He just had a way. It, he he kind of permeated. Everybody knew who Tony Robichaux was. So uh, he's passed away today after a heart attack. Let's go over to the Divini Equipment phone. Divini Equipment in Madison and in Jackson, your Kubota dealer. DJ, what's happening? Well, I, I know you just said breaking news, but uh, I was I was really calling in and talked about the Auburn situation. Okay. Uh, there's the hot seat. There's the really hot seat. So I don't know what you call what Miles on is on, mm-hmm. but after a Final Four, a World Series, and Nick Saban, I, I don't think there's ever been a football coach in a tougher position. And, and look at their schedule. Have you looked at their schedule? I have. People are saying they have the toughest schedule in the country. They, they uh, now you may not agree with this, but they could be one of the best five teams in the country and go nine and three. Mm-hmm. You agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, you know they really could be a top five team and go nine and three. Because Oregon, I mean, their season opener, Oregon. And let's look at it this way. Let's just say Oregon. They're saying Oregon is a top ten type of team this year. They do have what may be the first overall, the first quarterback taken in the draft in Justin Herbert. They're good right. at Oregon. And and at the end of the, if you played all, if Auburn played Oregon at the end of the year, it might be a different thing because whoever your quarterback is has Absolutely. experience. But you're catching Oregon in the first game, and you know that, that's dangerous. It's dangerous. dangerous. I really think, and, and there, there again, you know, I'm an Ohio State fan, but I've lived in the South uh, most of my life. Uh, I really think Auburn's D line will give them a shot in that ball game, but traveling to Oregon. I mean, first game of the year, inexperienced quarterback. If 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 they're able to pick up Auburn's D line, just 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 in a medium, you're not gonna stop Auburn's D front. Oregon can, okay. Mm-hmm. You know when people use, you, I don't know if you remember when Ohio State used to play Oregon, and everybody go, oh, you got to play. I knew they could not handle Ohio State's D line, and both times we played Oregon, both of them we handled Oregon, and it's gonna be a similar situation. But in game one mm-hmm. with a young one. But here's my deal. Auburn fired Chizik, what, two years after national title? Two years so, after, because they really bottomed out on that team. Right. So Auburn's not the most patient, and, and let's be honest. Final Four, World Series, I, I don't think there's ever been a hotter seat. You yeah. know, and, and the thing is, uh, I think Malzahn's a good coach, uh, but, but there again, uh, you know, the fact that he signed an extension saved him. Because he's got such a huge buyout, but but I, I don't right. see Oregon. I mean, I don't see Auburn contending for the SEC championship this year. Not with that schedule and, uh, that, and the home and away flips on them as well. DJ, I appreciate your call, man. Have a good fourth. All right, thanks, Matt. Thank you. Auburn was eight and five last year. Two years ago, they were a ten-game winner, and then kind of fell flat in the postseason. Well, I guess what lost to Georgia. In the SEC title game, that's what that was. And then lost to UCF. So that was two years ago. Rolling along. A little ways to go. Amansky, Tom Amansky details coming up.
Stick around. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show. Hey, Roger, didn't Jimi Hendrix play the guitar upside down? I think he could play it any kind of way, backwards with his teeth. A bunch of stucks he did. I mean, did I dream this up? Some of y'all music gurus out there. It seems like somebody told me he played it left-handed, but it was a right-handed guitar. So he played them because that's all he had was a right-handed guitar, but he was left-handed, so he played it upside down. That's how he learned to play is that urban legend? I don't know, but it worked. <laughs> Maybe it did. We had Ray Charles in hour number one. We got Jimi Hendrix in hour two. So this is the, not the best quality, obviously. This is live at Woodstock. Uh-huh. Who was it that called in and asked about that earlier? Uh, I can't. Chicken Hawk. Chicken Hawk, that's right. You gotta get grows on for a while. Just, <laughs> just for you, chicken hawk. All right, um, I told you about this earlier, so it's going to sound like a repeat, but it's not. We have new information on this that Roger discovered when he looked it up the other day. Oh, oh, Wes says it was a right-handed guitar that was strung to be a left-handed. Okay, gotcha. That's different. Gotcha. Uh, the other day, Fred McGriff was doing an interview. Yes, the former Atlanta Brave. He should be in the Hall of Fame, but he's not. That whole deal. Fred McGriff, crime dog, first baseman, left-handed hitter, Atlanta Braves. Doing an interview and told the story of how he wound up in those Tom Amansky baseball instructional video commercials <laughs> that flooded sports television back in the 80s and early 90s. Techniques that get results, producing baseball worlds back-to-back-to-back AAU national championship teams and even a gold medal in international competition. In a recent review, Collegiate Baseball Magazine exclaimed, with Coach Imanski's techniques, the future of baseball is here today. Even top professional players are impressed. Just ask Major League Superstar Fred McGriff. I'm so impressed with the instructional videos by Coach Imanski that I've given them my full endorsement. When you watch them, you'll know why. The Defensive Drills video is available now for a minute. <laughs> really sold that. You'll know why. Even top professionals are impressed. <laughs> like Atlanta Braves first baseman Fred McGriff. Here was the other one. Lou Pavlovich, Jr., editor of Collegiate Baseball Magazine, calls it a masterpiece. The best defensive drill video ever produced. Many professional players are excited about this videotape. Just ask Atlanta Braves superstar Fred McGriff. This is the instructional video that gets results. Baseball world. <laughs> Dynamite drop in, Fred. <laughs> Very enthusiastic. The best instructional video, baseball defensive instructional video ever produced. And it's the only one. But it didn't stop there. So the story was Fred McGriff came across and got to know Tom Amansky when Amansky was a scout and a coach way back when and helped Fred McGriff with his swing. 
I'm a mask, he comes to me and like, hey, Fred, you mind shooting this video? I'm like, for sure. He's like, yeah, man, I'm up in the big leagues now. Let's shoot this video, whatever. So he says, okay, I'm going to fly to Chicago. I'm going to have a couple of kids with me. We'll find a little baseball field and we'll shoot this video. So he has a little camcorder and everything, but played a game in Wrigley Field. After the game, probably about two blocks away from Wrigley, we go to the high school field. He says, Fred, here's, here's a shirt, hat, put it on. And this is after games. I'm already tired in the first place. So I just pop a shirt on, put a hat on. We shoot a little video. He says, all I want you to do is say, this video is guaranteed to get results. So I'm like, okay, let's do it. So, so I say, it's guaranteed to get results. Like I said, I didn't know it was going to stand for 20 years. <laughs> That's Fred McGriff talking about this. So if you were listening in hour one, we talk about this, this audio of his interview explaining the commercial. It pops up and I played it. And then Roger, you looked up some stuff and I was blown away when you said that Tom Amansky, according to stories that you found from 2014, that Tom Amansky made $75 million off those instructional videos that were being peddled all over ESPN in every commercial break, it seemed like, endorsed by Fred McGriff. Well, now, that's his, that's his estimated worth. So, I mean, it's a, a prime. I'm sure he, he's done other things, but including that camp that he did for several years back in the 80s, it kind of went away in the early 90s. Okay. But, but you know, the, the ads have been running for a long time, like you said, back in the 80s and 90s, but it was in 1997 that he got the big break and he got a, the, the right contact inside of ESPN. He was able to negotiate uh, a kind of deal that's called in our business per inquiry. Mm-hmm. It basically means that ESPN would get a cut of every video that he sold from the commercials. And some telemarketing companies in Nebraska would handle the grunt work. And so... He's now able to advertise on the nation's only network capable of reaching such a specific right. sports demo. So the tapes were selling for like 30 bucks a pop, which ESPN received roughly a third. Now, you know, the, the article says it's easy to laugh now with Disney-owned ESPN worth some $40 billion, but the network then wasn't mm-hmm. the sports monolith of today, and the Mansky's money was as green as anyone else's. So the first one aired in June 14th, 97, during a two-year-old replay of a uh, Gennaro Hernandez, Oscar de la Hoya boxing match. But now three weeks later, it aired right in the sweet spot, the MLB home run derby in wow. Cleveland. And so though most of the orders filtered straight through the, the telemarketing companies, many customers somehow just called Baseball World's offices direct. And so they said the, the guy who uh, was the former Baseball World coach, Teddy Craig, said, if we do the commercials coming on at 9.02, you had to be ready to go because everything went directly to these two or three phone lines and it got very busy. So. <laughs> Isn't that something? And, yeah. you know, okay, so let's do a little case study on this, Roger. Now, again, there's some young people out here listening right now that have no idea. They've probably never seen the commercial. Look it up. But everybody else knows about it. Fred McGriff said the guy showed up, said he's flying into town. He showed up basically with a home video camera and shot it himself. Okay, so it's this low-budget production on the commercial anyway. Fred McGriff looks into the camera and says, I endorse this thing. It would not have been as successful without Fred McGriff on there. I am convinced of that. Okay, and the other thing is, 
you said you read a little further and you find out, like, it all just came to a screeching halt at some point for Tom Amaski, right? Yeah, and I don't know if it, what it had to do with the fact that this little sweet deal ended. Uh, the last, uh, I think the last one aired on January 2nd, 2007, during an episode of SportsCenter. Okay. And then the new guy managing ESPN said, we're doing what? Really? <laughs> no more. No more. No more trades. So, so kind of went, kind of went away. But but still, I mean, 2007 is pretty doggone recent. It feels like it. I mean, yeah. think about you talk about striking gold. That Tom Amansky, who is selling a videotape for thirty dollars a pop, is selling a videotape on baseball instruction. And cuts a deal with ESPN where to advertise this. How many times did the ad run? You said it ran how many? 50,000 times? Yeah, they, they don't have an exact number, but over 50,000, yeah. So it ran over 50,000 times, and he didn't pay for them. He's not buying, going in and traditionally buying an advertising package. He That's paid, how he started out, but when he got that sweet deal, didn't have to do that anymore. He, was, he would buy local stations and... Okay. Certain markets he would target, but so he did local that, stuff first, and and again, think about how he must have felt, Roger, the moment he walked away from that meeting with ESPN and struck a deal with them. It's a per inquiry; they're going to air his commercials on ESPN during professional and all kinds of sporting events. They're going to take a ten dollar cut. Out of every videotape that's sold, and he's making the other 20. Basically, he just became partners with ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports. I mean, <laughs> he became partners. At the time, they were undisputed. Yeah. It is just incredible. You know, but that was a sincere endorsement because, you know, in 2003 interview, McGriff recalled how Amansky influenced his overall approach. He said he mm-hmm. slowed it down and broke it down on video, and I learned a lot about hitting from it. Right. So, and and surely I wonder the thing that I have not McGriff come across. McGriff had 125 homers in his first four seasons. How about that? Look, his numbers are Hall of Fame worthy. I I am a believer in that. Do you think that the snobbery that is rampant in baseball might be the reason that that, that video? Endorsement might be the reason he didn't. That's interesting, Roger. I hadn't thought of that. I would hope not. I mean, for Pete's sake, I would hope not. Seems like he did a lot for a lot of guys. Well, I mean, a lot of those guys did corny stuff, though. There was some Mickey Mantle ads back in the days that make you... It's just ridiculous, you know. I got to wonder how much Fred McGriff, though, made off of it. Did they, they, they either paid him or something had to have to get that endorsement. He, surely he didn't do it just for free. Maybe he did. Heck, I don't know. I didn't see that. Anyway. I got the impression that he didn't that he just asked him to do it and he did it. He just did it just for the heck for, of it. Yeah. Wow. Seventy five million dollars in selling videotapes. <laughs> as McGriff's career was winding to a close, ESPN declared the sixty second spot as the number one athlete commercial of all time. Ah uh, yes. It is. <clears throat> All right. Enjoyed it, Roger. Have a great fourth. See you next week. See y'all next week. See you. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show.